0: Issue
1: for all women. Oh, hi there. Welcome to Standard Issue Sunday Chops. You're very lucky because you got two chops today because we did have a bit of a belter of a week on the podcast. We had two amazing interviews actually. We had Leanne Davis's piece on Alzheimer's for Alzheimer's Awareness Week, and you can catch that over somewhere else on this here, acost slash iTunes slash whatever you're listening to it on channel. Also, we had the very brilliant Carrie Lloyd chatting to the very brilliant Sarah Pascoe about Sarah's adaptation of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice for the actual stage. I was lucky enough to hang out with my Sussex alumnus, Cariad and Sarah, while the uh, interview is recorded and mostly just tell Cariad to hold the microphone further away from her face. Have a listen, hope you enjoy it.
0: Hi, I'm Carrie Ed Lloyd, and I'm here talking to comedian and author Sarah Pascoe. We are recording in Kings Place in Kings Cross, which is why it is a bit noisy. There's an evening with Kirsty Allsop on, so you may hear some people exiting that. Sarah. Hi, I'm Carrie Lloyd, and I'm here today with comedian and author Sarah Pascoe. Hello. Hi, Sarah. Um, Sarah is not only a brilliant person, brilliant comedian, lovely blue jumper wearer. She's also recently adapted Pride and Prejudice for the stage. Is that right, Sarah?
2: Yeah. I actually wrote it months and months ago, but it's just about to be on. They're rehearsing it now. You wrote
0: Pride and Prejudice?
2: Yes, 200 years ago, but I don't go on about it. <laughs>
0: You're so humble. So you have adapted Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, and it's about to open very soon. Yeah. Can I ask you, first of all, oh, how do you feel about that? Are you excited? Or is it scary that you wrote something and.
2: I feel sick in a good way I think like not because I'm sick like I'm not poorly (laughs) I feel sick because my I've written a book and I write stand-up which I perform myself and which so obviously they're both very 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 uh, intensely controlled by one person you get um, notes from an editor or with stand-up you obviously get kind of notes from the audience where they leave if they don't like it or like laugh if they do but they're rehearsing at the moment and I just the fact that something is happening completely outside of my control and someone else is going hmm what does this mean I'll say it like that and I'm like no that's why I haven't been to rehearsals because my instinct is to go see exactly how I meant it
0: Would you like to play all the parts? Would that be the dream?
2: Oh no! This is a real learning lesson for me. So it would be the opposite of my dream. That is my nightmare, where I become that person, yeah. like Burkhoff.
0: You <laughs> have to be. Oh, slam shady on the burk-off. Yeah,
2: This is all my. I'm showing Berkov how it's supposed to be done. <laughs> this is why playwrights die or stay out of the rehearsal room. Sunshine.
0: How do you think Jane Austen would feel about your adaptation? Like, Do you think she'd be like,
2: nah, no, I would do it like this if it was on the stage? Well, this is one of the very first conversations we had. So I'm working with um, the director Susanna and Emmy the Great, who's doing the music. And one of the first conversations we had was about what Jane Austen would be doing now. And we imagined all of the blogs that she'd be writing, how she would be voting, what she'd be talking about current politics. It was really fun for us to imagine, like, what would her response to Trump be? Like, um, yes, Jane Austen is such a fascinating woman in her, her analysis of character because it's almost genderless. Everyone has exactly the same format which is they don't really see themselves how the world sees them and then she just does this in lots of, in lots of different ways. Men and women are equally flawed in very different ways and, um, and so we get we got really fascinated about that and then so the kind of times where we have taken liberties with the play um, or with the characters it was always trying to get, get back to a truth with her not trying to go oh now we think it should be like this we really really obviously lots and lots of adaptations of Pride and Prejudice which are really brilliant and exciting but going back to the text there are also lots of things that have been kind of ignored and I especially felt that the family have been over time made to be a lot neater and nicer and more ladylike than they should be like the Bennett sisters I kept saying like they're the kind of family if they got on the train you'd move carriages (laughs) like you have to remember that that
0: and I think Lydia and Kitty now would be like full-on selfies hair extensions contouring
2: I think the the really exciting thing is that kind of family would be a reality TV. They could be the Kardashians, they could be Made in Chelsea. I think... um Yeah, so it's nice to think of them like that, because it's not a a modern retelling, but the world has changed, and women and their position in society has really, really changed. And the first thing I felt when I was writing was like, why do we keep telling these stories where women are still infantilised and they're saying it's romantic? It's quite dangerous to keep telling these same stories where women sit down and wait for a man to propose to them, because we're saying that to a new generation of women all the time who aren't in that position. So I did want them to be raw and wild. Yeah, it's
0: difficult, isn't it? Because Lizzie if you don't know, spoiler alert, <laughs> if you don't know the story, like for her time is very um, brave and courageous, but there is still that element of wanting to be rescued, and she does still, spoiler alert, get the man at the end, and is sort of recu- rescued by a man who's very rich. So even though for the time it's groundbreaking, yeah, if you're now producing that for a young girl now, are you still perpetuating the princess myth? It's tricky. Do you, so I suppose...
2: We had to put a song in because I knew we needed to explain the legal position of women and the inheritance of land, otherwise the fact that this father is going to die and none of these people could stay living in his house anymore isn't that clear. And it's quite dry. So Emmy's written this incredibly catchy song um, called Don't Judge Us, which is just to explain so that you actually understand. First of all, you have to understand the financial situation so that when Lizzie's cousin proposes to her, which means that she can stay in their house and, and suddenly there will be a haven for her sisters and there will be some a small amount, but an income to share. Basically, she can save all of their lives and she still turns him down. That's so huge. They've been just reading in the story and a lot of the adaptations, he's just an annoying cousin. You're like, why'd you marry him? He's ugly. It's like, you don't understand. This is the equivalent of prison. Like when Charlotte decides to marry him, I. I was so oh, sad.
0: Charlotte Lucas, Carl oh, Charlotte.
2: Yeah, rereading it now, I thought her story was heartbreaking. Yeah. It's, it's one step away from sex work, essentially. She has to <laughs> look. I'm sorry if I'm being dramatic now. But I, I, no, you're just making me look because
0: you're right. But it's just funny because Charlotte Lucas is normally treated amongst Austen enthusiasts <laughs> um, as like sort of the slight, the slight put upon, slight put upon cousin. Who kind of marries for the sake of? It. But I think if you do read the books, I think Lizzie feels the way you feel about Charlotte. Like Lizzie, it cannot believe that Charlotte has decided to marry this person. And also the thing about Mister Collins, he's always treated like an old man, but he's not. He's twenty-five, and this creep at twenty-five behaving like this. Horrible, and I think that makes the character so much funnier that he's so young and so weird.
2: Yeah, he's really, really funny. Also, his double act with Lady Catherine de Bourgh, because Lady Catherine de Bourgh is the one. That I just—I think it's such an astonishingly simple setup. I think if you pitched it as a sitcom, I guess it is. It's like *Bouquet*, highest of Bouquet* but but so basically this woman who no one's ever said no to because women in this society no one women never powerful she is powerful thus she thinks she can do anything and she knows everything I just love we've actually got a friend like this who I won't name but I love that she thinks the the quote she has about how if she she would be the best musician if she had learned an instrument it's like that is such a perfect description of a character and again that not seeing themselves how the world sees them
0: Let's talk about the comedy, you, you wrote about this recently in the Guardian article, where you said, oh they're funny, you said, tell the story, what did you say to me, Sarah? Uh,
2: so, I, well, cause, because people asked when they were like, oh have you always loved Pride and Prejudice, and obviously you and I, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> uh, Isabel, who you know guys, um, did an English degree together at Sussex,
0: with Jen from Standard Issue, who's also sat next to us recording it, so, Hi. holler out to the hot House crew.
2: <laughs> Hi. <laughs> So uh, we we did an English degree and I didn't read anything, I don't think I read anything pre-1960s post 17th century I had this huge gap where I was like ugh Victorian stay away and obviously Jane Austen is not Victorian but um, there was a whole period where I just thought I just had a really terrible assumption that I was never going to read Dickens I was never going to read Austen they were just all descriptions of flowers shut up and then (laughs) um, but it's because at our uni you could
0: choose what time period and I didn't do anything modern like i just couldn't bear it and i remember you choosing samuel beckett and i chose shakespeare on the last year yeah you chose beckett and i chose shakespeare and i the thought of having to do anything 20th century i found so overwhelming like difficult i just wanted to live in the past
2: i think the thing that happened right at the beginning of university and it actually did drive change it was that it was all about form and changing the form and that's then suddenly what I thought the point of studying was. And so I did. I, I, I missed out at university, the whole reading for pleasure and incredible storytelling and the craft of literature, the invention of the novel all the way through to... And then I guess it's high point, it's pinnacle. So then when I was reading for pleasure after university, and I think, I think poverty was the reason I picked up Pride and Prejudice because it's a pound, the classics were a pound. And so you could buy five books in W.H. Smith's or no books, (laughs) half a magazine. And so, um, and and then the second I started it, it was so easy to read and lovely and clear. And you don't associate that with work that's hundreds of years old. And that's why it's really exciting to be looking at an adaptation because, like, we've got like A-level students, or GCSE students who are studying it on the syllabus, and so isn't it fun when well, it's not a book you hate?
0: And I said, it's funny. Like, I'm the first time I read Pride and Prejudice, and I actually read it after university because we went to Sussex where you weren't allowed to read the text; you had to read about the gender issues in the text and the Marxist problem. <laughs> like, yeah. That's yeah. But after I'd read it, I was like, I remember reading it going, this is hilarious, and so I think. How do, you, how do you feel approaching it as a comedian? Like, were you impressed with her comedy writing?
2: Yeah, so, and I also I knew. The reason that the theatre had approached me to... They wanted a comedian to write a new version, and so I absolutely knew that the pinnacle of it was comedy. So my first rereading, I was just underlining jokes and elements that I knew had to go into the script. That was my first thing, was what are we li- literally lifting from her own words? Sometimes it's narration, so you have to go, whose mouth is this going into or how else do you tell it, because obviously it's completely different prose to dialogue but the first thing was, oh it has to be really 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 funny, because that's the point and also it's what makes it a bearable book Like the minute you take the jokes out, it's such a boring story it's not boring
0: (laughs) it's not it's a great story
2: tell the story with no jokes tell the story with no jokes, once upon a time a really sad poor family (laughs) can't do anything because the world is awful that's a great story
0: that's how all books work in the 18th century and 19th century that's, that's my kind of story
2: their mother would marry them to anyone it doesn't matter whether they want to or not what, you don't want a joke to lighten the tone
0: i am Still, so happy right now <laughs> yeah that's how you take from austin to dickens that's all that everyone's doing i think no, dickens is funny i think austin is funnier controversial
2: i think she's funnier as well but then I've only read one Dickens. <laughs> so that is not I'm just gonna say in the yeah, that's not an educated opinion. So Dickens is like
0: a slightly annoying uncle in that you can see the joke coming, I think, and then you're like, ah oh, yeah, very good. Whereas Austin I think is just so witty. Yeah. Do you do you feel intimidated by her comedy? Or did you think like did you feel like you're talking to another comedian you're like, Yeah, I get you. No, that would be incredibly
2: arrogant. <laughs> it wasn't like I was just me and Jane Austen in the green room going, How are you gonna riff this? Um, what's really great is having written stuff purely from scratch. It's so wonderful to know what's going to happen to all of the characters. It's adapting something is completely different, but the intimidation is worrying. Everyone has an attachment to Jane Austen there'll be a small percentage of people who come to see the play who think they don't like it and we wrote that in our blurb on purpose to hopefully entice people to come in if whether they've had a bad experience or was taught badly or they read a book when they were really young or something but most people come already knowing their favorite characters and their favorite bits and why they think it's a lovely love story and it's about those people that I felt from the beginning I, it took me ages to start properly writing because I was just heckling myself with imaginary 50 year old women who know a lot more than I do about Jane Austen going actually and actually it's been quite funny uh, through the publication of the book and the rehearsals i've done so many historical inaccuracies the crossword wasn't invented Muntjack jack deer were not yet in the uk like all of these things you just wouldn't i wouldn't even know i just assumed munt jack would british deer no <laughs> and invaders what they called immigrants
0: <laughs> we have that with ostentatious obviously i do an improvised jane austen show and we have to have regular meetings where we have to remind each other what's not invented because it's and language language, it's so there is an amazing website called what would jane austen write and you could you (laughs) should have told you you can type in a word and it will tell you like jane austen actually never and it's something weird like things like swooning or something or like joyous and they'll be like nope, she didn't say that she would have said wondrous like it's like yeah it's analysed all her books and language but yeah it's I'm tricky actually,
2: I'm actually glad I didn't know about that because that would have felt like plagiarism yeah. in a way because it wasn't I wasn't trying to be absolutely historically accurate I'm being slightly la- not lazy I wanted to I wanted to write because it, it was jokes and truth for me more than oh that's very very because also I thought who will know apart from <laughs> one who I'll well, beat up afterwards <laughs> I've read Sarah's adaptation, it's very good.
0: But you have done a slight meta thing with it, so we sort of see the actors as well. So why did you want to kind of break down, so it's not, you know, it's not a traditional, the ladies, we just see the linear story, we're also sort of seeing the background of,
2: we're also seeing the background of the story being told. Why did you want to tell
0: two stories?
2: Partly it's because time-wise, you sometimes really need to jump forward, and flicking forward to certain other scenes, B or C plots, for instance, means that you can jump, but more importantly, there are real things historically that if they are not explained... You know, we retell the same stories again and again, but this story is about a, a time in history where women have no power, and unless you have a modern voice to comment on that, I felt I was screaming at the play. I felt, I felt unless like you had a modern woman questioning... And the reason that actors are interesting is because they have to find love for these characters or why they made certain decisions, on, or why they don't speak, why they don't express themselves. So this is a... There, there is a very, very integral story which involves no one saying anything. And, and because if you do, then you're engaged to somebody. And um, if you don't comment on that, I thought, how can you love that character now? I was thinking what's unfair is without any kind of modern commentary, without an explanation of how we're all formed by culture and, and the expectations upon her, she's just an insipid woman and she wasn't an insipid woman. Like there's a, there's a thing about properness that was imp- uh, imp- oppressive. And, um, and I felt it was much fairer to the characters to have modern people, modern characters, saying, like, so with the school children, kind of asking, why is she just walking around? Why aren't they trying to get the vote or something? <laughs> because, because sometimes that's what I was thinking of, like, we love this story, but do we love it because we, we're romanticising a time where we would just have been darning? Well, it's the other
0: big thing that Austin academics had a problem with. Like, this is the big time of slavery, and yes. she mentions it once. And hardly mentions it. Yeah, and, and doesn't really talk about servants and talks nothing about war. So it's a very...
2: So, because that very reason, I have got a character mentioning the war quite near the beginning because there's soldiers everywhere. <laughs> like, yeah. like, everyone's trying to
0: sleep with a soldier. But she doesn't mention that they we're at war with yeah. France and it's awful.
2: In my version, we do mention, Mary mentions the very first ball when everyone's having a lovely time, her thing is you wouldn't even know there was a war on, which is our little way of going, yes, guys, there was a war on. And Lizzie has a, when she's trying to be facetious to Darcy, she says she loves Napoleon and respects some of his things. <laughs> so we've managed to be really cheeky and yeah, again, true to the world. I think it's the kind of thing Mary would have said. And also that is why there is just more soldiers, 10 soldiers to every unwed woman. <laughs> so many red coat soldiers. That that was just the joy,
0: and then also the soldiers are weird as well because like that it was a job. Like they only took it so they could get paid. So that's why you have got these like hot guys hanging around in red jackets, only doing it because they're
3: no please. Jen's getting
0: involved. Come on, Jen.
3: How well would they have known about the war? I mean, like they didn't have Twitter. They would have
0: known. It was like we were at war with France all over Europe. History, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But (laughs) let's point out because she went to Sussex. It's contemporary history.
2: No, it was a huge deal. People have been talking and talking and talking about it. In the equivalent of Twitter, we don't have to talk to each other anymore, thank God, because we can just emoji from a distance. But in those days, it would have been local news, local gossip, and then...
0: There were were a few newspapers, and we were at war with France and bits of Europe for, like, five, six... It was ridiculous.
3: I mean, there was literally a hundred-year war, right? This is
0: full-on Napoleonic Wars, Wellington... Got Battle of Waterloo, Battle of Trafalgar. So yeah, they would have. They would, but they.
2: But then I guess they did. How much the daughters would have cared is a different thing. I I think. But again, I think if they were befriending the soldiers, there would have been an element of they're going to be moved there or what they're going there. And actually, I think he would have still had like any kind of like what do they call it? Wouldn't call it squatty town then, would they? (laughs) 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 Yeah, Colchester. It's
0: basically the same thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So when I reread it again, so lots of things. That, so first of all was the role of women. The second one was uh, the class issue in this play. We decided to cast ours just with no awareness of race because I went through the book and she doesn't mention race once. So I was like, well, anyone could be whatever colour I want. And she never, ever says this family are, are white and anyone else is white. So I felt very okay about doing that. And we wanted to have a, like, a really diverse casting So we wanted to pick the right people. And it's really funny because that's what some people have been affronted about about our advertising. Really?
0: So because it's a diverse
2: cast, that's
0: bothering them?
2: Already going, I already know this is a terrible production because they don't look right.
0: See, that is the Disneyfication, almost. I know they haven't done a Disney Pride and Purchase, but because there have only been white productions of Pride and Prejudice, that's terrible.
2: So, but it's also the problem in terms of actors coming through now. We don't change the, we either change the way that we're doing plays or the kind of plays we're doing. Because if you think about audiences come out to see old things they already like, so they're always putting those things on, and then they either have a, It's just such a strange thing it must be for an actor if you're not white.
0: It's hard, like, being a female actor... Yeah is hard enough like the parts like you know say you do Shakespeare your, your roles are limited compared to a man but then not being, being a non-white actor woman then you're just completely right in the
2: mouth so when you are cast as Cleopatra suddenly it's a statement rather than acting I'm pretending to be someone else <laughs>
0: So, are they complaining because it's not like, it's not a
2: white Lizzie Bennett? Wow. So, yeah, we've got a black Lizzie Bennett. And um, it was something we talked about really early on was that my one thing is she has to look strong. So, in terms of like physical notes for her, it was like strong. She's not skinny. She's not going to fall over and she's not nice. Like, she has to have this little kind of. And you look at her in a ballroom scene, you have to understand why Darcy thinks she's a certain kind of person, because otherwise he's not a likeable character. He, ha- If he makes a judgement on her then, I never forgive him if she's this lovely lady-like woman. She has to have something else, kind of almost feral. Just a little edge of it. She's, she's better than some of her sisters, but she's still one of the Bennet sisters. Yeah.
0: That's the whole point in the book. The point is she trapes across fields in muddy skirts, and she doesn't care, and she doesn't care what people think about her. Yeah,
2: the other thing, which is obviously not in the book at all, is that... She- S- sexual the, it's, it's, the hidden. It's, it's hidden it's in there kind of the muddy the, the glint in her eye what Darcy picks up on when she storms through a door is for the first time the sexuality of a woman is exhilarating and while no one speaks of this that's what the people who judge Lizzie that is what they are judging there's something about her where Jane is beautiful Lizzie is sexy
0: Oh yeah, that's very true. Jane is Jane is beauty. Jane is a beauty yes. who doesn't have to do anything. Yes. But Lizzie got it going on. Yeah, the whole thing when the Bingley sisters like because the big thing is like she's rosy-cheeked and her eyes are fresh. And it's like, in Georgian times, that was like she had. Yeah. <laughs> <That's- Yeah. laughs> You're so right. That's code for <laughs> careful. Yeah. <that's- laughs> yeah. Bingley sisters are so snobby about it because it's basically like she walked in in her hot miniskirt and heels and just looked great. Yeah. And of course Darcy's like, there's something about a lady with a fresh eye. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that means, Darcy? I find that very shocking. That that's what is bothering people. But then again, yeah, I think
2: there are lots of things that are going on in this country at the moment. Did you see the thing yesterday where it showed how people from one political binary don't retweet the other? How little the crossover was. They did a whole meta-analysis, and you just got a lump of blue and a lump of red, and it's this tiny like, little swirl. Like so, it's basically like a galaxy. It's so separate. So, and obviously, we're all trying to be really aware of what other people are going through. But it was myself and Susanna, the director of White, and Emmy is Chinese. We just had such a shock at the racism. Um, and it was really great because both theatres have come up with stock responses about prejudice, like with a, a pun on the um, play title. But we really were just like, I mean, we work in the theatre, for God's sake, we thought there was, yeah. Just what people are having to put up with.
3: I'm surprised you're surprised, though, to be honest, because we look at like the whole black James Bond thing, like Idris Elba can't be bombed but because. That's James
0: because Bond. Like. I know, yeah, no it is, but I guess what I mean is like a theatre production. Yeah. Like I guess what I mean is like that idiot's was James Bond. <laughs>
2: It's educated. I know what you mean. Again, it's us. It's us profiling. You think yeah. James Bond is everyone's thing, so I can understand a really, Id, a really idiot person thinking that. But you do think, oh, the theatre, they're so educated. Like a
0: theatre-going audience. So people
3: get very, people get very hung up on characters yeah. and and what they perceive characters to be, and the perception, obviously, of the Bennett, obviously, yes. is well, they actually. Yeah, I
0: suppose you had the same problem with the Black Hermione when they when they cast the Black Hermione, and uh, yeah, sorry, and Harry Potter
3: that that's the character yeah. and they get upset about that but it, obviously not understanding that the gesture of doing it differently yeah. is so much more important than their perception of what a character Also,
0: you're only perceiving often of what you are yeah. and so if you're imagining your world yeah. that's why you, it then maybe surprises you and you're like, oh, well, I didn't imagine Lizzie like that. I
2: think as well, like when we were casting the whole point was we thought for anyone performing this role is going to involve some historical research and that would and that and that culture is so different to now that it wasn't like as for any actor they are acting that part they don't have to be of a particular heritage there's no sensitivity there there's no i think it's more complicated if you were to do the other way around if you want white actors interpreting something that's very traditionally uh, Jamaican, I think that would be—you'd have—I'd really have some questions about what you'd have to have a really good explanation for. But again, I think the point with acting is that people are pretending to be other people, and then they're learning their background.
0: Um, there's been a lot of Jane Austen adaptations. One of my faves, 1995 p m p Colin Firth. I think it's the greatest adaptation. So I'm. I'm going to watch your play with that in mind. How do you feel about, because we have talked about this, but how did you feel when, because you hadn't watched it when it came out, did you? I watched it obsessively, hence why I'm in Ostentatious, because that's, I literally wanted to be in that show. So when you watched it for the first time, years later, we, how did you feel watching what is held by most people as like a classic adaptation?
2: It's, it's got such, again, it's a really, really brilliant script. They had, it's really, really long, obviously, so they got to do everything that's in the book. There was some really amazing casting, and I think Colin Firth is such a big part of that. Darcy, on the page, is not Colin Firth in a lake. <laughs>
0: No, like they made that character that work for
2: that audience, and him in a lake, which
0: is <laughs> that amazing. lake is so good,
2: it doesn 't happen in the book, which again we have to comment on in the play because a little bit like you know like how Milton changed how people perceive the Bible. people think that 's in the book, yeah, I know that I remember I watched
0: it with my mother in law who was so outraged at the change. oh, like, she hates it she was like, why can 't you just like as if the text isn 't enough, yeah. like Austin did this for you. <laughs>
2: I, I loved it one of the, the flash forwards in our plays an editing suite where they're arguing about something and he actually says that like, if they wanted words they would have read the book <laughs> watching it were you
0: surprised at, at people hailing that as like the, a great adaptation
2: oh, no not at all again because I think they make the characters really likeable and the world is really luscious it makes it romantic yeah. It's 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 romantic for a different time, not a time you would necessarily want to live, but you want to kind of try on for a bit. Um,
0: Andrew Davis is very good at adapting things and and taking out all the shit. So like if you... if he's, and I don't mean shit text, I mean like he makes Georgian England look really lovely. Like you just feel like oh that looks delightful, whereas like you can't see the poverty or
2: the slavery or the war. You write it to Fifty Shades of Grey, and in that um, the reason it's romantic is it's a life where there's no stress. Like, you yeah, are, you are. Like, you know how Vanessa wants to- Isn't the Red Room a bit stressful? You know what Vanessa said? Our friend Vanessa said about Fifty Shades of Grey. She went, well, everyone's so busy now. The idea of being tied up and someone else has to clean up afterwards is quite nice. And I thought, yeah, that's such a perfect... Because people didn't understand that's a fantasy. And I think the other kind of fantasy, which is this, this this, this backwards one where women just are kind of wearing dresses and seem to be... And Jane Austen doesn't write them this like this. But historical women are often seem to be like just frippering around and, and, and politely talking. And, yes, ha, 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 my sister. And I am... Um, I think those kind of things you are going like yeah God that'd be better wouldn't it than getting up early and getting on a train it does look easy
0: doesn't it especially those Bennett sisters when they're like you know Flipping around the market they didn't
2: have to go to school. They didn't even have a governess, right? They just sat around bickering, annoying their dads, and then trying to sleep with soldiers. Yeah, that's it. Just off to Brighton. It's not
0: a bad world. I think they do. I think the PMP nine nine five. They do Lydia's running off with Wickham very well. I feel like you feel very like
2: villainous, and you're like <gasps> Lydia and Kitty. Actually, but all the sisters. But she's sexual, yeah. and and she's a she's a teenage girl, and and I think her mother was. And that's how she snared Mr. Bennett. Um, yeah, because that's the whole thing, is yeah, red, red, red heart. And again, this is where it's very interesting. I, I think trying to talk about whether Jane Austen is a feminist or not is kind of a waste of time because it didn't exist as a thing then. I think what's really interesting is that and I think it's why people get really excited about her over and over again is oh my god, the female the women have autonomy. Even in that time that she was formed where she is still writing women where no, the young girl is not just always the person being seduced and manipulated, sometimes she's the seducer and manipulator and that's massive.
0: I think it's exciting in the book because again you like you said you have this idea of like they just get given a husband and that's it and that's not what Lydia does. Like Lydia goes out and gets herself the man that she yeah. wants, even though he's deeply unsuitable. And
2: even and while I mean while the whole setup in terms of Darcy having to help with financially her mother does forgive her like it isn't like we were, her mother's proud yes. Mrs Bennet's like oh well done girl you've got the man we did think about oh what if we gave it to a very very religious family in modern times because there are several religions and especially people who are fundamental about the religion where you can have situations where there's still controlled marriages and and um, how money moves throughout the family and those kind of things but well, we didn't find anything that fit well enough for there to be a point of it but it's also that's the other thing when I was writing it's going it's not like oh no one in the world lives like this anymore we don't live like it us in this country brought up with not religious parents but there are still situations where female fertility is really
0: There's that Bollywood version of Pride and Prejudice isn't there? The woman who did bend it like Beckham. I remember I hear, I had an interview with her and she said she read that and she was like this is how the the
2: Indian wedding system works. I'm so glad I didn't do that and then just find out it's been done. Imagine a pub like yeah, it opens next week. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Who's your favourite character from Pride and Prejudice Do you have a fave? Mary. You love Mary? I love Mary. I love her. So, Jane herself said in an interview that she's Mary. In an interview? (laughs) Just for research, I interviewed her. I did a Ouija board. I
0: love Jane. She's got a podcast out, hasn't she, Jane Austen? She's pretty pretty cool. So, why do you love Mary? Mary, famously, the dowdy, serious one.
2: Because she's the only one without a happy ending. You know, there's three things coming out about Mary. There's three films. About Mary Bennett?
0: There's something about Mary Bennett. Wow.
2: Um, definitely a TV thing. And uh, I'm sure it's either one or two of the other because she's the fascinating character. She doesn't get the happy ending her sisters get, and she's given so little focus. And again, I think often the person who speaks less in something is the one you project most onto. But straight away for me, in terms of comedic terms for the play, Mary, because she's watching and not talking, can say anything. So she was, the, whenever I needed a beat or someone to bring something back up or I guess I've made her sillier in my play like she's she's into animals which isn't a thing that was ever in the book.
0: Uh, You've made her funny and I think she is funny in the book but she's
2: I think she's an interesting funny because she's a funny that her, her own family do not appreciate. Mr Bennett does like her because she's not silly like she's not as silly as her sisters. I guess I like people who are listening not talking and she's the only one of her sisters who are doing is doing that. She would be the only one that I would change train carriages and go, Mary, you can come.
0: You're a family of sisters. Yeah. Did you relate to the Bennett sisters? Did you look at them and go, I understand what's happening here?
2: Yeah, definitely. Like um <laughs> and the dedication for the publication I've made it just to Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> well I've got two sisters, Cheryl and Christina. And so but a mum as well who's very young, so had me when she was nineteen. So we were a young female family. My mum was the exact opposite of Mrs. Bennett. I think that's why I'm fascinated with the economic thing because I on wrote my mum's whole thing was you have to be able to look after yourself you don't rely on anyone and you especially don't rely on a man because you love him like her whole thing was like that that, that if you do that if you trust it, as much as you want if you shoot it goes you have to look after yourself mrs
0: bennett needed your mum around
2: oh my god if we could make a film where what's that one enchanted <laughs> where my mum just wakes up and it's a regency farmhouse that is a great film oh it is a great film
0: the more I think about it the more I'm into it yeah Um, but you've dedicated the publication to Cheryl
2: yes yeah it just was so lovely like so nice to get to dedicate anything to anyone ever you know but um, yeah so the relationship between sisters I never ever thought when I was growing up that Cheryl was my best friend ever like so i'm not like jane and lizzie but then my mum was always going the best thing i ever did to you you don't need a christmas present i gave you your sister <laughs> one day you'll appreciate it and i do appreciate both my sisters now and also i've got nieces there's a lot of women going on in the pasco clan isn't there yeah loads
0: so Sarah where can we see your adaptation of Pride and Prejudice Um,
2: so if people want to come and see it it's on the Nottingham Playhouse uh, for three weeks and then it's on at the York Theatre Royal for three weeks Um, so it'll be through September to November and um, then hopefully more productions next year fingers crossed
0: and you can, the script's been published so you can read your adaptation as well
2: yes you can buy it um, via my website I'll just link to it on there I'll do do a page but it's um, published by Samuel French and it'll be on Amazon
0: wow amazing thank you very much sarah. from lizzie to mary <laughs> that was sarah pasco
2: i've been carried lloyd if you do like
0: jane austen you can also come and see my show ostentatious the improvised jane austen novel which is doing a uk tour this autumn and winter and we're also performing shows in london if you want more information go to ostentatiousimpro.com or follow us on twitter at austin
1: If you liked that, you might like our our weekly podcast, which you can probably see, well, if you listen to this, hopefully you can see it also on whatever channel app website you happen to be downloading this on check it out we have a podcast every week in which we talk about everything that interests women which is everything yay we've got some other sunday chops on here you can have a look at those a couple where i'm chatting to claire balding judy murray paula Maguire, who is swimming the coast of of mainland britain Hannah chatting to Caitlin Brodnick about uh, having a preemptive double mastectomy. We've got, as I said earlier, we've got Leanne Davis talking about her mother's Alzheimer's disease. And we've got loads more coming up as well, so do keep checking back on here. If you are interested in what Sarah or Cariad had to say, give them a follow. On Twitter, you can follow Sarah on at Sarah Pascoe, and you can follow Cariad on at Lady Cariad. Keep a lookout for Cariad's very, very brilliant, ostentatious show, which I've seen a couple of times, and it is hilarious. That's actually coming to the West End of that London very soon, so do keep your eyes peeled for that. Thanks for joining us.